The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Scotland Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and businesses. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, founder and director of Titchborne Promotions and long-term IOD member. David Gray, MD of AMBID and chair of the board of trustees for Dad's Rock, shares his story of his career and shares some valuable insight into the worlds of bidding and philanthropy in today's episode. I guess my, my journey, as it were, started uh, back in, in sort of 2005, I guess, when I um, moved to Edinburgh and, uh, and started working for a, a company uh, and started working with um, my, my current uh, sort of co-director, Andrew Morrison, um, at AMBID. Um, we, we worked together initially from uh, 2005 um, for a few years at a, a private housing manager in Edinburgh. Um, and that's where I, I got into an initially a business development role and, and part of that involved a lot of bidding and tendering um, to uh, initially to, to local authorities and um, uh, into the public sector and, and that's really now where, where AM bid specialises so um, yeah that was my kind of first introduction to it. Um, doing a lot of bids, um, helping that company, that organisation grow through winning new work. Um, I found that I really enjoyed it. I was um, you know, even back at school, I was always better with uh, with with the written word than with numbers and figures. Um, so um, yeah, it was it was something I had a bit of a passion for in terms of you know helping companies grow through the use of the written word through putting together compelling proposals and and bids. Um, and yeah, my, my career from there, I went into um, the housing sector initially. I, I became a, a fully qualified housing professional because I was working in that sector in that industry. Um, and, and again, always in a kind of business development facing type role. And then um, I kind of took a, a sidestep into energy and worked with, um, with EDF Energy for a while, still in the, in the kind of housing space because it was working with, with public sector and housing association um, organizations, um, predominantly on low carbon initiatives um, and, and energy efficiency measures, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, in 2016, I, I joined uh, AMBID. So, um, yeah, uh, Andrew asked me to um, to come and join what was then a, a growing company and, and still is. Um, and he, he felt he, he needed another um, another director in the business to help him grow it. So, um, yeah, we, we got back together, as it were, as a, as a, as a, as a business partnership, as a team um, in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's been uh, since then... Um, Andrew and his, uh, his wife Emma remain the, the owners of the business but um, as of last year I moved into the, the managing director role so I'm 
um, just two weeks away now from uh, my, my first anniversary, as it were, in the, in the MD <laughs> role. <laughs> and, and what have you learned in that year? <laughs> as you can imagine, quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I suppose, uh, first and foremost, that, um, yeah, the, the best laid plans and all that. <laughs> so I think we, we started this, uh, this, what is, you know, uh, this financial year for, for AMBID. Our trading year runs from uh, 1st of October to the, the end of the following September. And yeah, I, I started it with, with, you know, quite grand plans and ambitious growth plans about how we would grow, how we would take the business forward and grow the, the top line and the bottom line. And uh, and yeah, I think um, the first half of the year, it was all on target, all looking quite good. And then um, we kind of got into middle of March and things started to get a little bit different. So um, yeah, it was um, certainly been a challenging year. Um, and uh, yeah, not something anybody could could have foreseen happening in terms of the the, the impact of the, the coronavirus and COVID nineteen, everything that came with that. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just been learning about. Um, I mean, people are using buzzwords like pivoting and um, you know and adapting, and and you know they they are the key sort of skills that are needed at this time. Really, it's um, the, the challenges that the economy is moving. Um, and, and suffering from some, you know, challenges that are, are probably unforeseen or certainly unforeseen, but, but um, yeah, uh, unprecedented probably since wartime. So it's, it's you know, huge economic impact and, and huge environmental impact as well and the way everybody's living, the way everybody's working. Uh, and certainly the way people are doing business. So, so yeah, it's been uh, the second half of the year has really been adapting to that. And um, you know, again, this this kind of talk of a new normal. It's it's been about looking at ourselves and how how um, how we can act and how we can interface with our clients and how we can help our clients and support them to to kind of recover their businesses um, as well in the in in this kind of challenging economic time. So, yeah, definitely adapting has been the the key kind of. Um, the key focus, the key word, I suppose, since uh, since March time. Do you think the fact that you're still in your first year, or were in your first year when this hit, that you were able to change tax more easily, or do you think it was harder for you without the the pre knowledge of the role? Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, it was there was some difficulties there. I mean, I mean, in terms of you know difficult decisions had to be made um, and, you know, difficult conversations had to be had. And that's, uh, you know, the hardest part of, of being the, the leader of any organization or, or team is having to make those, uh, those, those decisions and then have those difficult conversations when, you know, particularly when people's, you're, you're directly impacting people's uh, lives by doing that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know that it would have been any easier with with more experience. To be honest, um, it's 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 not something I would say would would ever come um, you know particularly easily. It's always difficult, and and really I feel it should be. You know, if you don't have some kind of emotional attachment to that process and 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 to the the, the people who you work with, then I would almost suggest there's something wrong. If you were if you were able to detach from them that much to to not feel an impact and, and not feel that to be a, a difficult process, then um, yeah, perhaps the relationship wasn't where it should have been in the first place. So um, yeah, I, I never really thought about it too much about that uh, in that way. I just I, I knew that you know for the the sustainability of the business and to make sure that we we were able to to keep going and to keep some of our staff on, we we did need to make some some difficult decisions, which um, you know were just you know kind of we, we certainly weren't the only business making those decisions and you know many still are so 
it's um yeah I, I don't think it would have been too much easier but i just you know I, I knew that was my my responsibility as md we had to we had to do this and we had to um to move through so um, it was about looking at, at how we could um yeah i guess how we could help the people impacted and and support them as best we could to to make it as um you know as, as bearable and as, as pain-free as possible really yeah did you always have your sights set on being an md um i yeah i guess to, to some extent maybe not the, the 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 specific job title um but i i you know I, i'd always done you know pretty well in my, my my job since uh since sort of getting into my first kind of what you would call proper job after after university sort of back in uh, in 2005 or so and um yeah i suppose it was nice to hear people would say things you know my managers or people i worked with would say oh you know you'll, you'll go quite far if you keep working hard and and you know doing the right things and working hard and being nice to people <laughs> um which is why that's a bit of a mantra um yeah you know people would, would say um you know you can you know helpfully but but supportively in, in terms of helping me on that career journey so um and i kind of believed in myself as well and i thought you know i had a lot to offer um deliberately kind of navigated my career in ways that would would help i suppose open up opportunities so trying to get experience in a, in a, in a big organization like edf energy where i worked um, for a few years, uh, getting different types of experience as well. I was in very commercial facing role there, which is, is something that uh, my previous roles in the housing sector, I hadn't had such great exposure to that, that kind of um, high commercial focus in the, in the private sector. So yeah, I, I guess I've navigated my career through that, that path uh, on purpose and, and yeah, kept, uh, kept building networks along the way and just looked for opportunities. So um yeah, it's, um, I, I always had ambitions, I, I guess, to, to be a sort of board level um, and a director level um, and a career role. And um, yeah. so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been great to achieve that. What do you think makes a good leader? It's a very good question. Um, I think what I've learned this year is, um, you know, as much as anything is um, it's, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about what makes a good leader and, and, and the difference between leadership and management. Mm -hmm. I think for me, there's a lot of it is around emotional intelligence. Um, you know, I, I was um, lucky to have attended uh, or, or grateful to have attended the, the, the School for CEOs um, leadership program, the, the runway program, um, I think about two years ago now as, as part of my kind of development at, at AMBID. Uh, and that's a course that's designed for kind of future leaders to, as the name suggests, a bit of a runway to to taking off in that in that sense. Um, and yeah, it was it was really interesting to to learn about a bit more about emotional intelligence, the importance of emotional intelligence, um, and also about being being an empathetic leader. Um, you're trying to, I guess, not be too dictatorial in the way you lead. <laughs> and I think that's that's never been more important. You know, people are feeling probably everybody's feeling a slight sense of vulnerability just with the way we're all living and being in lockdown for so long and things. So um, and I, I think just being a being an open and, and you know communicative person as well and being able to have um, open conversations and um, I guess make create a culture where I mean I certainly try my best to do this to create a culture where the, the team feel they can come to me at any time, um, you know, have a conversation or as we're doing now, sort of Zoom and, uh, and and telephone calls maybe more often. But but yeah, just recognizing the importance of that and not detaching myself too much from the the, the people who are are working for the team. We are we are a small team uh, now, slightly smaller than we were this time last year, but. 
um, yeah, I think it's it's really important to you know invest the time and the the energy in people to make sure that they feel valued, um, communicate with them openly, um, and I guess yeah, as I said, just being being empathetic, understanding that this is a really challenging and difficult time for everybody, quite an uncertain time, and, um, and yeah, do, doing whatever we can just to make people feel part of part of this team, part of this journey. Um, I've always been very open with with people throughout the whole process, you know, since uh, you know since March, uh, the, the process being the, the impact of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just being open with them about where we are as a business, uh, you know, explaining some of the difficult decisions we've had to take, um, explaining you know some of the positives and the, this this sort of uh, the, the opportunities that are, are coming up in the market for us and how we would look to. Um, to, to adapt, to uh, to build on on those opportunities and, and develop new services and things. So, uh, and and really trying to get our team to be involved in that as well, because we are small teams. So everybody has um, a bit of a role to play there. And I think um, you know we don't have the luxury of uh, you know being able to set up a project group to go off and and uh, launch a new service or develop a new service. So it's kind of everybody's coming together to do that collaboratively and. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling when it, when everybody does come together that way. So that's that's been my focus is just trying to keep keep the team together while we're apart, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> definitely does. So tell us a bit more about A Embed, your your culture, your ethos, your reason for being. So our our reason for being really is to is to help other organisations um, grow and and to. To, I suppose it, I always say it's about realizing their potential. We, we have a lot of clients who are, you know, very clearly at the top of their game in terms of what they do as an organization and, and how they help and serve their, uh, their customers or their clients. Um, but they're maybe not always quite so sharp at articulating that in a, in a, in a what can be quite a formal, fragmented and quite overly complex sometimes way through, through a, a formal bid or tender process. And particularly some of these um, large public sector, local government, national government contracts, the, the, the procurement process that has to be navigated to, to win those, uh, those contracts can often just deter some organisations. They would just say, I'm, I'm not interested, I'm not going to bother bidding for that, it's too much a hassle, I don't really know how to do that. So yeah, for us, it's about helping organisations like that who either don't know how to how to do it or haven't the experience or, or quite often they just don't simply have the the, the, the time or the, um, the resource to actually do that because they're too busy doing what they do. They're too busy serving their clients and their customers. So for us, it's about yeah coming in, helping them with that. And um, yeah, if we see clients and we think, you know, you should be winning more contracts than you are, you know, you're, you're, you're an uh, you know, absolute outstanding provider of this service uh, and we will just help them tell their story, help them get their value and their messaging across to the, their, their key target audience and, and, and yeah, ultimately help them win more work as a result of that. And okay. that's, that's why we exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about the clients that you work with. Yeah, so we, we are, um, we are multi-sector or um, or sector agnostic, as the as the, the young people say. Um, so we we're working in a real broad range of, of sectors. Um, I guess uh, we have some sectors that we're active in more than others. So we do um, we do a lot of work in uh, in the in and around construction and construction professional services, kind of built environment um, industries. Uh, so construction, architecture, housing development, um, that kind of thing, repairs and maintenance. Um, also, because um, Andrew Morrison, the, the business owner, and I, we, we have um, 
a background in housing, both of us. So we kind of naturally, um, you know, achieve a lot of clients and have a, have a network and, and bring in a lot of clients from from uh, from the housing industry as well. So if there's organisations looking to win work with a local authority housing department or a housing association, for example, a, a new build house building contract, something like that, or architecture services on a on a housing framework then AMBID have become the, the kind of go-to housing bid specialist. So we, we, we have a lot of clients who are in, the, in that space. Um, but we also have clients in the legal sector. Um, we have clients in, uh, in fintech. We have, yeah, we, I mean, you could almost, um, energy is another one. We do a lot of work in energy and renewables. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a very broad range. So we, we do have um, we do big clients in, in, in a lot of different areas. Facilities management is another one, commercial cleaning, these kind of uh, these areas as well. So um, and to be fair, that's kind of what I like about the job most is that you learn a little bit about all sorts of different sectors and industries every day. And, you know, one day you can be working with a company trying to understand the, the ins and outs of of the, the most safe way of cleaning a, a high-speed train, and the next day you're you're looking at a bid that's for legal services, and it's it's how you would deal with um, uh, you know, with a specific legal issue impacting a, a local government department. So it's it's very broad and diverse, and um, yeah, I think that's that's why I enjoy it. No two days are the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is it that enables you to work across all these sectors and work with one sector one day and another the next day? Is is the bidding process as such quite similar in that you can do that yeah effectively that's that's the bottom line it's um you know we we are we don't profess to be experts in all of the the areas that we we uh, we bid in in terms of all the sectors and industries our experts are our clients uh, and we're very upfront about that from the start we're not there to tell them how to do their job or how to serve their customers we're there to tell them how to articulate their value in a bid and, and how to win the work so our expertise and our our, um, our skills and our, our professional qualifications as well are, are in bidding and proposal management and proposal writing. So, um, so yeah, we are very upfront that it's about us working in partnership with them. So, you know, sometimes clients might expect that, oh, okay, AM bid are doing the bid, great, let them go on with it. And obviously, that's not going to work. We do need their time, we need their input, we need to get some information from them. Uh, and we have a methodology that's built around doing that in the... I suppose the kind of least intrusive way we can, um, where we're working in partnership with them. They have a bit of a time commitment to give to us to enable us to harvest information from them and, and put together compelling content, which we, we kind of draft for them or um, you know d develop that for them. Or we sometimes review clients' work as well um, if, if they have an in-house bid resource. But but yeah, for us, it's about the transferables. You know, there's um, the, we, we've studied professionally. We have professional certifications um, in in proposal management, and and there is the methodology that we have in-house. We've deliberately built to be sector agnostic, and it's it's transferable to to different sectors and industries. So. Yeah, it's it's. It, I guess, as I say, it's about harvest, harvesting and harnessing that information from clients, and then turning it into a, a compelling proposal. And and to be fair, sometimes I would say to to, to clients, we, we we occasionally will be asked by uh, new clients, oh, you know, how can you possibly write a bid in this sector if if you've never done it before, if you've only done a handful before? And actually, sometimes that's quite advantageous for us because more often than not the buyer who is evaluating and reading the bids may not have any specific sectoral experience or, or industry experience so actually if they're telling us something and saying this is what we want in the bid 
uh, if I don't understand it or my colleagues don't understand it, there's a pushback there from us to say, you'll need to explain to us why that's of value to the, the yeah. customer because it's not resonating with me. I don't understand why that's a good thing or, you know, is that cheaper? Is it safer? Is it higher quality than, than your competitors? What is it about that thing, the way you do it, that makes you different? And, and sometimes that's the challenge that clients need to really differentiate themselves in a, in a, in a bidding and tender process. And, and that can be the difference between between winning the work and not. So so sometimes, yeah, that's our, our kind of critical friend role comes into play because we can just say, you know, what is the value of that thing? You're saying it as if it's amazing, but I don't understand why it is. So tell me and we will then tell your client. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a very creative process. Yeah, it can be. It's, um, I mean, it's it's factually based, but it's about, yeah, it's absolutely about being creative in the way that you present information. Um, we're always trying to present um, our clients in, the, in what they do based on the value of what they do, based on the benefits of what they do. So that's uh, often, I think, you know, organizations might write their own bids and proposals. They could fall into a trap of, of just writing about what they do or, or why they do it, but it's really about what value does that bring um, why is that a benefit to the, the person you're bidding to, the organisation you're bidding to, and how does it, you know, how does it fit in with with your your buyers' cultures and values? How does it help their end users? How does it help their their customers and clients? So, it's um it's really much more about the value of what you do and 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 how that differentiates you. You know, what are you doing something that no one else in the market's doing? If so, you know, explain the value of that and what, what you know, that will that help uh, the buyer save money? Will it help them save time? Will it increase their customer um, sort of uh, satisfaction scores, that kind of thing? These are the, the kind of things we're always looking to, to tease out of our clients. Who or what drives you or inspires you? Well, good question. Um, I think I'm very driven by, and it sounds a bit boring, I suppose, but I'm very driven by our results. And when I say our results, I don't mean our, our financial results. They're, they're important too, but it's really our, our win rate. Our, you know, our, we're all about winning. That's the value we bring to, to organizations. So, um, you know, we, we maintain and, and sustain a, a, an 80% plus win rate across the board, across all the bids we do. So I'm very driven by that. And not so much the metric, but just the achieving of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite a competitive person and, uh, you know, I've said before, I think outside of, of competitive sports, there's there's not so many jobs um, like bidding to give you that real win-lose kind of uh, buzz that you get and, and particularly obviously from winning. So, yeah, I'm very driven and very motivated by helping clients win and then, you know, seeing how, how much of a difference it makes to their organisation. Mm -hmm. uh, as I say, for us, it's a metric. It helps us. It helps show us. Uh, helps us evidence and show that we're doing the right things and we're helping the, the people in the way they need. Uh, they need help. But for them, you know, often these organisations, it's it's really transformational. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be an organisation that might have a, um, you know, six million pound turnover, and they have one contract that's worth five million pounds a year. Yeah. So when that when that comes up to retender and they need to bid for it, you know, everybody in that organization is kind of on the edge of their seat for the whole process because they know how much it means to the organization, how how much of a must win it is. Yeah. So to help to help them through that um, that journey and help them win that contract and retain it and then see the kind of joy that that brings. And, and you know, to be fair, the relief that it brings um, is, is hugely rewarding. And, and equally, where you have a smaller organization who maybe has a you know, a turnover of, um, of of half a million pounds a year and they're bidding for a contract that's worth the same again or even more, 
and helping them, that's then becomes, you know, absolutely transformational for their business and allows them to bring in new people, you know, create jobs, uh, create education and employment opportunities as well. So, yeah, that kind of thing, helping businesses grow is really what, what drives me, what motivates me. Have you had a mentor and what did he or she add to your development? Yeah, I have. I've been, um, I suppose, been fortunate in, um, enough in my um, career to have had a few mentors. Um, uh, you know, when I was with uh, when I was with EDF, um, I had a mentor who was uh, one of the senior managers in the business there. Um, who, again, as part of my you know, kind of journey, my career ambition to to, to you know to, to continue and and, uh, and progress on to director level. Um, he was really helpful. He was, um, you know, probably, I mean, this was going back maybe six years ago. He was about maybe eight, eight years older than me. And he had kids who were, you know, kind of about maybe eight years older than mine. So um, at the time, I found it really helpful. And, um, you know, one of the one of the, 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 the sort of standout kind of learnings I took from that was around how important it is to, to treat your family as, as stakeholders in your career and yeah. your your development as well and um, I think up until that point is you know I had obviously considered the impacts on my family of, of different jobs and, and things but um, you know that the the, uh, the the mentor I had at the time was really instrumental in letting me see that they weren't two different things that needed to kind of move in the same place at the same time they were very much interconnected and you know you you know the, the, the thing that came up at the time was really to progress my career with EDF I would have most likely needed to move to the south of England yeah. Um, to do that. And, um, you know, we were talking about that and the impact on, on family that that would have for my, my young family based in Edinburgh uh, and the fact that my, that my parents and things are in Scotland. So, yeah, that really made me think about, you know, what, what do I want out of not just my career, but out of life as well. And that, you know, it has to work for everybody and not just for me and my career. It's um, so, yeah, that was a, a really key learning. I think as well, since, um, you know, since probably since uh, I started working with, with Andrew Morrison, the, the, the founder of the business, um, Andrew's kind of acted as a, an informal mentor to me. Um, at times he was a, he was a director at uh, the, the organization I first worked with in Edinburgh. So he's helped me quite a lot in terms of developing and he, he first introduced me to, to bidding um, when we worked together on, uh, on proposals and, and tenders back um, back in, in the 2000s when it was when it was all paper based um, so it was quite a different game then in terms of production <laughs> but but yeah we've um, you know Andrew's Andrew's been a very good mentor in terms of um, yeah introducing me to bidding my, my sort of bidding journey uh, and laterally obviously in, in terms of um, you know the time at AM bid in the, um, the the three years I, I had with the business before moving into the MD role. Yeah. Um, probably the last year and a half of that, you know, the, the, after I'd been in the door a year and a half or so, was very much geared up about me taking over as MD. And we, we kind of jointly run the business in many ways. Um, and, you know, by the time I moved into the MD role, I wasn't doing much that was new because I'd been doing it in, in a kind yeah. of um, a phased transition um, from Andrew for some time. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, and and also I suppose um, I would also want to give a you know a, a shout out to um, to, to David Soul will be who was uh, formerly the, the, the chair of AMBID, and during his uh, chairmanship, um, yeah, he also acted as a, a bit of a mentor to me. We would meet regularly and have have conversations about the business, uh, about some of the challenges I was facing, maybe with the business or with people. Um, and again, yeah, he was very um, or, or 
is um, you know highly experienced and um, you know incredible executive coach. So we were um, yeah, I was very lucky to benefit from his insight and his um, sort of mentorship um, informally during that time too. So I want to take you back to your your first experience with bidding. So we know how you feel now about the bidding process, but what was it that made you really fall in love with it in the in the beginning? Um, I th I think just the yeah, as I say, I, I was always drawn towards more more towards the, the written word, mm. um, and I, I I just felt that I was able to have such a, a big impact on an organisation through through what I was doing. Um, yeah. I think often roles in organisations you, you you you're playing you're playing a part and you may be a, a cog in the wheel, but really when it comes to winning a contract that your organisation already has and you need to keep that contract to keep everybody employed gainfully, then you have quite a big responsibility on your shoulders. So I think being involved in something so big and so meaningful and so impactful for kind of everybody in the organization um, was really exciting. And, you know, I felt that at the time I was like, this is great. This is, you know, I really feel like I'm, um, you know, this isn't like a, a, a role that could just be, you know, kind of lift and shift. Somebody else could do this and then it wouldn't really matter. It, you know, this, this really, really matters in terms of winning the work. Um, so I think it was the, the, the level of, um, of impact that it had and, and still has on the organizations who are bidding for, for work. But also I think that the, the dynamism of it, you know, it, it really is, you know, you, you have to work with stakeholders and subject matter experts from all over the business. And in our case now from your client's business, so it's about building relationships, talking to people. It's very varied. Um, so that whole sort of side of it always really appealed to me. I've never really enjoyed sitting down doing kind of the same thing over and over again. So being able to speak to different people about different things, um, even, you know, working in that kind of high pressure environment is, um, you know, it is quite dynamic. It's not always great fun because sometimes towards the deadline, if, um, if you're still waiting for information to come through from one of the subject matter experts, you're then kind of um, yeah, you're <laughs> a whole new set of challenges. But, but yeah, I mean, it's about managing those people, managing those conversations, building trust, you know, understanding who can work well in the process, who needs a little bit more help. Um, so, yeah, it was really the, the variety of it and the, the, the opportunity, I guess, to yeah, make such a difference, but also you know, if I'm honest, it gave me a really good opportunity to kind of raise my profile within the organization because when I was bidding, you know, going back to, to 2005, six, when I was bidding for that organization, I was, I was having conversations with the, the, you know, the managing director, with the chairman, with the financial director, you know, very few of my kind of colleagues, my age at the time were doing that. In fact, none of them really were doing that because their roles were, you know, important roles, but they just didn't have access to, to those kind of people. Their roles didn't in, involve that kind of level of engagement. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it was fantastic insight as well into into sort of senior management and leadership at, at quite a well, very early stage in my career. So even that side of it was really helpful. And I, you know, was able to understand that's where I want to get to. I want to be in these kind of roles. It's, it's yeah. you know, and I, because I'd had that exposure to them quite early. Do you think exposure to those roles is quite important to get people into senior management and, and being owners, founders, those top positions? Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 I completely do, yeah. I think if you can, if you have that exposure, you can understand, um, you know, the, the sort of pressures even, the, the sort of challenges that, that people in these senior leadership roles face. Um, as much as 
if you're looking to get into it, you, you know what to expect and you know what maybe you need to work on in your career to, to, to get to that level. You know, for a lot of people, they would just have that exposure and think, Do you know what, I don't want that at all. And I think that's equally important. Some people would, would have that exposure. They might think, oh, I want to be a director, I want to be an MD, without maybe understanding fully what that would mean for them and the impact that might have on, on other elements of their life. So, um, yeah, for both reasons, I think, yeah, really valuable um, to have that, that sort of exposure um, early in your career so that it'll help shape you either way. You might think, well, no, do you know what, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to go in that direction. Maybe I'll become like the best trainer of what I do, or maybe I'll just become the best technician of what I do. Mm. But I don't really want to, to go to, to lead what we as an organization do. And that's fine. I think people yeah. need to, to, to find out what, what works for them, what they want to do, where their ambition lies. So the more insight they can get to those, um, those kind of roles, the better. And I think as well, it works, it, it helps the whole organization because you're seeing then, you know, you know sometimes people would, would say to me, oh, I emailed the MD, you know, yesterday at half two and I've not heard back from him. And I'd be thinking, well, yeah, that's not unusual. You know, this is a very busy individual. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, again, you're just having that understanding of how many plates uh, an MD or a CEO might be spinning um, yeah. at one time makes you, you know, just gain a bit of awareness. Uh, and, and you think, yeah, well, OK, maybe my thing is the most important thing on my entry or in my entry right now. But it's probably not the most important thing in the, in the MDs. So. Let's give um, let's give them a little bit more time to, to come back to, or let's look at another tact and maybe yeah. go and see them or phone them or something, you know. So, yeah, having that um, having that exposure, I think, definitely helps just culturally and in terms of the way people work together and communicate, but but also aspirationally. Speaking of aspirations, a two part question for you here. One, what are your aspirations for AMBID, and what are your aspirations for yourself? So. I guess um, interlinked um, initially. So I think my aspirations for for AMBID is is um, just to I think we've kind of cautiously optimistic about things. You know I appreciate we're we're uh, we're we're in a recession and it's it's going to get worse. Um, you know and that's going to have a big impact on our clients and on a whole load of organisations and um, and on business more generally. But you know, I feel like we have, we, we've, we've taken some early steps to steady the ship. Um, you know, we did, like many businesses, see a, a downturn in, in business and in, in revenue, particularly sort of March, April time. Um, but it has, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to say we've, we've, we've turned it around and it has picked up since. And um, yeah, we're going to finish the our, our year six um, really positively. So in, in that respect, um, yeah, I feel like we've steadied the ship. We are taking some, um, yeah, so different steps i would say in terms of how we're going to regrow so it'll be a, a maybe a different type of growth looking at uh, i mentioned earlier setting up some new services um so you know looking at our market and how people are working you know more people working from home and working remotely um you know and we're trying to develop services and we are developing services that better fit that way of working uh, maybe services that better fit organizations' budgets um, and and uh, and organizations that maybe uh, sorry um, services that that capture the digital proficiency that now a lot of a lot of organizations and individuals have which they they didn't have before. I suppose tapping into the fact that now everybody's a, a sort of an expert in Zoom or Teams. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> nobody really was in, in February or March, or very few people were. So <laughs> that opens up doors. That's that's one example. So I think there's a you know a really exciting future for for AMBID in terms of yeah regrowing in a different way and um, and yeah I, I guess taking advantage of some of these new opportunities and really trying to be. Um, trying to be at the forefront of what we do, but also in the, the modern way that we deliver our services, um, just, you know, still adding the same kind of value and, and helping organisations grow and helping them win work, but maybe in a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, and for myself, yeah, I would, I would certainly hope to have a, a, um, a less uh, disruptive second year as MD, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> if, uh, if we could be sailing in slightly calmer waters, that would be magnificent. Be but, <laughs> you know, if, if I've learned something over the last year, it's just that you, you can't take anything for granted, I think. Yeah. Um, so we were going to talk about all of the philanthropy today. Yeah, it was just some around some of the philanthropic and, and non-profit stuff I've been involved in um, as well and, and kind of yeah so I think it's quite important and it's uh, yeah certainly something I'd encourage other directors to get into so for the, the kind of purpose of the podcast it would mm. uh, you know sort of fits well. So please do tell us about it. Yeah so um, I mean for the for the last uh, couple of years now almost to the date actually I've been the, um, the chair of the board of trustees at Dad's Rock which is an Edinburgh-based um, sort of family charity, really. Um, as the name suggests, it, it began um, as a, an organisation that looked to create opportunities for, for dads to take their kids and interact, engage with each other and form sort of informal support networks for one another. Um, the, the, the charity does some great work with, um, particularly with young dads, with vulnerable dads, um, but also now with, with, with wider families. and. Um, yeah, as a, as, a, as a dad myself, it's, um, you know, I understand that a lot of the challenges and, uh, you know, how much of a, a game changer it can be when you uh, you have children, especially your first child, um, how much it changes your life. And I think, you know, from, from people with a good support network around them and good family structure, and I've been fortunate to have that, you still find that challenging. So for, for those who maybe don't have that or don't have the same, um, you know, don't, don't enjoy that same level of support, and, uh, and and family structure around them. It, it must be very very difficult indeed. So, mm. yeah, really really proud to be part of uh, of Dad's Rock and to, to to lead the board there. And they, they do a lot of um, yeah, as I say, a lot of fantastic work supporting young dads. They do some fun, a lot of fun stuff as well. Trips for for dads and their children to um, well pre pre COVID uh, trips to uh, you know big group gatherings at parks and museums and things like that. And we can all look forward to that. Uh, kind of happening again in the future but um, but they do some fun stuff as well around hairstyle workshops for um, <laughs> for dads with uh, with younger children with long hair looking to um, teach them the basics of, of hairstyling they get nice. <laughs> some local stylists in Edinburgh and so um, but yeah I mean it's, it's been great fun to be part of and um, uh, yeah as I say as, as a dad and a director it's it's, it's a, a really kind of almost a perfect fit for me to um, to do that um, mm. and I think you know I would I would really encourage um, you know all, all directors if they've not done it before and I know many many have but for those who've not to, to, to look at um, yeah whether you have the, the time and capacity to support a charity in that way um, you know perhaps not as a chair but as a trustee um, mm. it, it's I found it it's it's really kind of given me a much more holistic understanding of, of I suppose leadership but also of of everything really I think you, you come across um, just different sets of challenges and um, 
you know, you talk about budgetary figures, which in the business world are not considered large amounts, but in the charity sector and in, in the voluntary sector, they are large amounts and they can be the difference between a project being able to happen and not. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a really good kind of, uh, I suppose, learning curve, but also contextual um, understanding. I think it helps with things like uh, emotional intelligence and empathetic leadership, just getting that more uh, yeah, it helps with self-awareness as well. You you know you you can get your head out of your business world and into the real life sometimes of, of something yeah. a bit different. So, um, yeah, it's it's obviously just a very different uh, kind of organisation to be involved with, and in, uh, in terms of very different to the corporate sector and the the, the commercial sector. So, um, but yeah, good fun with it, and um, yeah, very proud to um, to be the chair of that board. And um, do you feel that? working with them being a chair there and your role in the corporate world do you feel that you have a more of a holistic view on what it means to be a director does it give yeah, you abs ab absolutely yeah I, I think it's um yeah just i think when you're a director of an organization you, you typically you'll always be kind of your 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 directorship will be based on the world you're living in, the business you're doing, the, the clients you have or the customers you have, the partners and, and suppliers you have and things. So it's, it, it, it gives you just a completely different experience of, 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 of leading and, and being involved in, in the direction of, a, of an organization, especially a charity in a very different sector, uh, completely different makeup. Obviously, you're not trying to make um, turn profits for, for shareholders and dividends and things. You're, you're trying to just mm. make the charity self-sustainable. You're trying to ensure that it can, any any surplus that it can return, it can help reinvest in its charitable aims and objectives. So it's just, yeah, a very different side to, um, uh, to, to, to leadership in an organization, but, um, but yeah, equally important. And in some cases, you know, arguably much more important um, because of the services that the, the voluntary sector provides. Um, a lot of them are, are very vital. Um, and I think we've seen since lockdown, particularly just the, 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 the role that the third sector and the voluntary sector in Scotland, but, but also much further beyond, has had to play in supporting people um, when, particularly when some, some other public services have had to, you know, either uh, change in the way they're delivered or the demand for them has just been off the scale. Yeah. Uh, and the third sector has kind of really stepped up to the plate and, and taken up the, the, the slack to help, you know, help support people as much as they can. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, and also the vital importance of funding as well, something that, you know, you get a real sense of being involved in a charity. And as I mentioned before, funding can be the difference between, um, you know, a really strong piece of work happening, a project that will make, you know, transformational changes for individuals lives potentially it could be the difference between that happening and that not so it's um yeah absolutely um yeah it opens your eyes to the the kind of the rest of the world outside your business um as i said yeah it just gives you a real um it definitely helps with emotional intelligence self-awareness understanding of um you know just as i said the, the, the way other people um the, the challenges other people have outside of business and, and how everything kind of um comes together and, and, and how you can yeah. help make a difference to people's lives. What advice would you give to directors looking to take that step? Um, I think just, I mean, there, there's, there's posts advertised quite frequently, but um, I mean, try and find somebody that, that already um, is, a, is a director of a, um, or on, on the board, a trustee of a charity, if you're, if you're looking to get into it and just have a conversation with them, mm. ask them a bit more about it, what's involved, what they get out of it, what they have to put into it. 
I think like anything, you, you'll get out of it what you put into it. But yeah. most charities, they're, they're not really looking for people who just want something nice to put on their CV. They're looking for, you know, meaningful engagement and contribution from their trustees. So yeah. I think it is really important to understand before you, you, you commit to it, to understand the, the actual sense of the commitment, what it is that would be required to be a meaningful um, contributory trustee and make sure you actually have that time and, and capacity in the first instance um, so yeah, having a discussion with somebody who already who already uh, has that kind of role would be would be really useful. And most of the um, the, the, the the charity trustees certainly I, I offer when we're recruiting for trustees, I offer to have a conversation with any potential applicants first and and just tell them a little bit about the organisation, how we work as a board, yeah. the kind of likely time commitment and um, you know capacity requirement at their end. And that's been really helpful. And sometimes it's resulted in that person not applying. So they've said, you know what, that's actually a little bit more time than I have. But, you know, that's a good thing for both parties. It's better yeah. to understand that before they become a trustee and then they feel yeah. like they're letting people down or they have to leave the board too soon and, and things like that. So yeah. it's important to make sure that it, there's, a, there's a fit. Uh, and also for, for the you know potential trustee to make sure that the organization is a good fit for them uh, and, uh, and, and kind of something they, they can get involved in. And it might be skills based as well. And sometimes trustees boards will be seeking specific skills um, and experience on their boards. So again, finding out whether there's a fit between the, the skills and experience you can offer and, and what the board is, is maybe lacking or looking to recruit for yeah. um, can be helpful as well. Okay. So you mentioned that you've got a few philanthropic yeah. things under your belt as well. <laughs> yeah, again, it's, it's something we've always um, tried to do at, at AMBID. We've, we've done some pro bono work in the past. That, that's actually how I first got involved with Dad's Rock. We, um, we offered to do some pro bono work with them to help with their funding applications. And um, yeah, we've, we've done it with a few organizations, um, for, yeah, charitable, not-for-profit organizations. We, we've helped them with, um, with pieces of work on a, on a pro bono basis. Mm -hmm. um, but also I became involved last year. Um, the, the Edinburgh Chamber of Commerce asked me if I would um, become involved as a business mentor with uh, YPI Scotland, which is the yeah. Young Philanthropy Initiative, um, which was run through the Developing the Young Workforce um, kind of movement. Um, and I did did, um, did get involved in that, and I, I actually found that to be yeah probably one of the most rewarding things I'd ever done, and, and certainly you know a, a, definitely a key highlight of this year. Um, so I, I worked with um, two groups um, initially, um, two groups of, of high school kids from Beeslack High School mm -hmm. in uh, in Pennycook, uh, just outside Edinburgh. So um, and this was helping them on pitching. Uh, so they, they were involved in the YPI Scotland uh, charity pitch um, event, which is run at, at each school that, that participates. And the, um, the prize for the, the winning pitch is a £3,000 grant for the charity that they're pitching for. So, um, yeah, I worked with a couple of groups there. And um, one of the groups that I was most involved with got, um, they got through their class final and then went to the school final. Uh, and then I was really proud that they actually won the £3,000 for their charity. Wow. So. It was, um, yeah, it was fantastic to be involved in. Um, the charity was the Dementia Cafe in, uh, in Pennycook. Mm -hmm. So it's a cafe that provides um, somewhere to go for, for sufferers of dementia, but also for their carers as well, for, um, you know, to benefit from respite. Um, but yeah, a, a really, um, you know, a, a really interesting and uh, meaningful project to, to get involved in. But um, yeah, but yeah, very very rewarding as well in terms of the, the sort of support and help that you can give young people 
uh, and again just opens your eyes to the, the you know different sort of sector of or a different um, area of people um, young people particularly who've not had the same experiences that, that you or I or, or other mm. people in business have necessarily had so it's um, it's great to be able to share some kind of learnings and and, um, and help people and yeah hopefully they, they they kind of gain confidence from that experience as well and it, it puts them in good stead for the future yeah so I think one question that will come up a lot when it comes to these extracurricular activities, if you will, um, is how do you find the time? Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not easy. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about, I suppose it's about planning. It's about, as I said before, making sure you don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, inevitably, a lot of a lot of it happens in, um, in, in in evenings, and it can happen over weekends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I I kind of balance it off. I'm always kind of clear that I have time for it. If you know, if there's a weekend where I have a, a dad rock um, strategy day, or there's something like that on, or, or an evening where there's um, where there's a board meeting, what tends to happen is that maybe I don't play golf that weekend or I don't play <laughs> golf that evening. So it kind of, it's, it's a self-sacrifice for me rather than a, a family sacrifice or a business sacrifice. That's kind of my own time. But I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it should be really, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my own time forward. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, the, 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 the young philanthropy initiative, um, work you know they were pretty flexible and i had some some really good sessions with them that were like 8 30 to 9 15 in the morning so it kind of was an okay time of day as well to yeah. to, to fit that into a diary um it, it was easy enough to um to do that and it's, it was a couple of sessions um with them so yeah again it's, it's just about making sure you have the time um i don't you know I, i've never bitten off too much of it it's um it's i suppose uh, you you can do if you can do something that's meaningful without you know without a huge time commitment there's always something there and you can always help somebody somewhere you know however little time or however however much time you have so yeah, yeah I think the key is just understanding the, the limits of your own um, time and making sure that you you, you you know you don't rob yourself of family time or work time but you're you're, you're, you're keeping a balance basically I think around the, the the young philanthropy stuff, it's it's about helping the the, the kids, I guess, or the young people with their, uh, their 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 charity work or whatever. In that in that particular uh, case, it was it was uh, charity pitching. But I'm also thinking of the bigger picture of developing them as well, not just young philanthropists, but young people, uh, and giving them skills like pitching, presenting, um, you know, just speaking in public um you know that at that age and i remember having to do that kind of thing at school myself and mm. really quite fearful of it so i think it's it's about developing their skills and experiences and i've no doubt that the, the groups i worked with would be uh, in fact all the groups that took part in that con competition would be much stronger this year because they'll have done it once they'll have, yeah. they'll have got over that kind of initial shock of speaking in front of loads of people and judges and all the rest of it so I think it's um you know it's about helping them develop their skills and hopefully these are quite transferable skills as well. Obviously they they, they could um, they could use these skills for for university for mm. um, you know if they have to 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 go for interviews for work you know things like that having to um, having to speak in front of people and speak confidently. Um, I think that's the the key thing and and I suppose with with um, with what we're doing it was about pitching so it was about in this case winning funding but. 
I'm also keen, you know, we've, we've done some work as well in the past, engaging with local schools, with, with universities across Scotland, just raising awareness of what AM bid does and, and of bidding and tendering as a, as a career option, because yeah. there's quite a large, um, you know, group of, of bid professionals and tender professionals across the UK, but I've yet to meet any who went into that career intentionally from the beginning <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty niche and most people fall into it through a kind of business development or marketing angle where they, they then start to get involved in proposals and bids but um yeah sort of working with um with colleagues at the uh, in the bid and proposal um, industry i think to, to be able to raise awareness of, of that industry as a, an intentional career choice an intentional career path would be um is something that, that that's um yeah, sort of really important to me as well. So I, I remember being, you know, quite good with English and 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 words rather than numbers in mm. in, in high school, and um, you know, at the time the careers advisors would say that you could be a, an author or a journalist, and that was kind of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think uh, offering kids um, and young people a bit more, um, you know, maybe a bit more awareness of what other careers might be out there for them if they yeah. if they prefer writing. Uh, you know, the written word to, to numeric um, academic approaches and, and actually, yeah, what they could use English for as a, as a written yeah. language. Um, there's, there's a vast range of, of additional options there. But yeah, bidding and proposals is one of them, writing compellingly to, to win work. Uh, and for people who are competitive, it's a great, a great career. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what could students, um, if you were to grab the interest of students and say, this is the career you can have, um, how would you approach that or how would you introduce it as a career option in terms of how 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 would i sell it to them or how would i get how would i suggest yeah, how, how would so so you as you've mentioned that there's not many that you know that have decided after school i want to go into bidding that's what i want my career to be in hmm. um they've fallen into it but but say you do have those people that might be listening now and their ears are perked going this actually sounds quite cool what advice or what pitch, if you will, <laughs> would you give to them to say, actually, this is something I want to go into and what would their next steps be? Yes, I think um, the way I, I, I typically explain it or, or describe it to people and or the, one of the things I get the most from is that if, if you have a competitive streak in you at all, it's, it's a really great career to be in because you, you're constantly in, in a world where there's you're, you're kind of you're striving to win you're looking to win work you're looking to win contracts you're looking to win funding um, so if you're competitive there's a real tangible sense of of, of success, success and, and winning uh, and also of course occasionally there's there's the, the 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 tangible feeling of not being successful and not winning and it's about how you deal with that how you look to improve on that for for the next uh, the next opportunity yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is that real tangible sense of, of success and a winning, which uh, an achievement, which you, you perhaps don't get so often in, uh, in as many, uh, many other careers with obviously competitive environments like sport and things like that. So that's that's one element to it. Um, the, the other the other side of it is just people, um, you know, people can often write very compellingly um, and very persuasively. And there's a real art to it. It's a, well, it's, it's a craft to, to mm -hmm. doing that. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, where, where you have young people who are very interested and very talented in the way they write, but they don't maybe want to be a journalist or an author or a poet or something like that. And they want to have, um, 
you know, maybe a, more of a, a vocational career rather than a, than a, a literary career, if you like, um, then yeah. the, it's, it's, I suppose, about raising, raising awareness for them. So we talk to them, uh, we talk to young people in universities and, you know, we just break it down to things like the building we're in now will have been built mm. at some point by a construction company. It'll have been designed by an architect. Um, there'll have been developers and surveyors involved. They'll all have had to have bid or pitched mm -hmm. or put a proposal together to win that work. Uh, and that's kind of how, how these things come together. You pitch, you win, you deliver, and you, then you, you do the same again. So yeah. I think it's explaining the role of it. We, we also, you know, to, to make it easy for, for people to understand, I use the, the same analogy that was first presented to me when I, I was first introduced to tendering. Um, people say it's a bit like a job application, you know, you, <laughs> but on an organizational level, you have to kind yeah. of sell yourself. You have to put in a written document that, that explains what you do and what the value of that is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like uh, applying for a job, you do it on a personal basis about yourself with a, with a bid or a tender. You're doing it about the organization or the, the company and what value you'll add to, um, to the buyer or the funder. So yeah, we just, we just break it down into, into what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, it, we've had some really good traction from young people in universities. And I would love to um, you know, pick up with some, some young people coming out of the business uh, degrees and, and corporate communication degrees, the sort of degree I did, yeah. uh, and speak to them as graduates and see whether there's opportunities um, for them to work with us or for them to work elsewhere in the, in the bidding proposal industry. Mm. um to, to to get into that because it's um yeah it is, a, it is a fantastic career for people who have that um uh that skill and that um desire to to, to work with the written word in the way that we do the institute of directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. Join the conversation and share your thoughts on today's episode by engaging with us on Twitter or joining the LinkedIn Scotland group.